mean, uh, since day one here, um, you know, being a part of the Philadelphia Flyers and early on in my career, you know, having a chance to, uh, to meet Mr. Snyder and get to know him and get to see his passion for the game. I think uh, um, just everybody followed him and, uh, you know, you just, you just want to be part of the family. And uh, that's, that, that's one thing that Mr. Snyder was probably the best at is making feel like uh, we're a big family, you know, coming to the game after each game, win or lose, and just asking questions. And, um, you know, everybody here knows his passion for the game and for this organization and uh, just to be a part of it for, for a thousand game. Um, uh, it's just an honor. Your Locked On Flyers, your daily podcast on the Philadelphia Flyers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to a very special Claude Giroux edition of the Locked On Flyers podcast for today, Thursday, March 17th. Thanks for making us your first listen every day. You can follow us on Twitter at Lockdown Flyers. You'll keep up to date on all the Flyers news and our episodes. You can also email us at LockdownFlyers at gmail.com. I'm Rachel Donner. You can find me on Twitter at rmiriam. You can find Russ Cohen on Twitter at Sportsology. Today, of course, we're talking about nothing but Claude Giroux on the occasion of his 1,000th game in the NHL. And for the Flyers, we've got special guest Wayne Fish here to talk about all of our favorite memories, his legacy. It's it's going to be a real good one, friends. And we're in this together. We know this could be his last game. So let's celebrate everything about our captain. Lockdown Flyers is free and available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, wherever you are listening right now. So subscribe and you will get all of our episodes here on the Locked On Podcast Network. We are here today, of course, to talk about all things Claude Giroux, and I am thrilled to welcome from Flying Fish Hockey, USA Today Network, and the Bucks County Courier Times, Wayne Fish. Welcome to Locked On Flyers. Thank you. So I want to start with first impressions of Claude Giroux. So we all know the story about the draft and how Bobby Clark messed up his name at the podium, but kind of looking beyond that moment, what was your first impression of him as a player and, you know, his first moments with the Flyers? I think the first thing that comes to mind is his competitive nature. And I know looking back 15 years later, it's easy to sort of look in the rearview mirror and say, sure, he, you know, everybody knows that. But at the time, he was a slightly built kid, uh, didn't speak much English. Scott Hartnell referred to that the other day and said, like, you know, why would a kid who can't speak English and is built, you know, like a you know, basketball player uh, or a high school basketball player would come in and show so much uh, Bravo, you know, so much uh, macho. And uh, then he went out and proved it. I mean, by the time the Flyers made it to the Stanley Cup final, I believe he was only about 22 years old, 23 years old. And already he was um, an integral part of the team. And you could see captain's potential in him because he was um, a leader, even with guys who were older than him. 
Yeah, the interesting thing for me is I was at that draft with Vancouver, but I was on the concourse doing a live show and I had to like say, did that just go the way I thought it went as far as his introduction? Uh, and they said, yeah. And then I found out later it's because the Flyers were deciding whether to take him or Bobby Sanguinetti. The interesting thing about Giroux is though, he wasn't great at training. He was spongy. He had all this talent, but they were kind of worried about teams who were kind of worried about, yeah, can he get in better shape? Can he become the guy that, you know, they think he could be. And so I think that's part of the reason that, you know, the Flyers took a good risk on him and probably their best draft pick in the last 20 years, honestly. Yeah. I'd have to agree with that. I think that, you know, your point about him not being, you know, the guy that was in the best shape. It's amazing to have seen his transformation over the course of his career because of the way he started out with, you know, somebody that was looked at as a risky draft pick because he wasn't in shape. And now he's one of the most meticulous people out there in yes. terms of his diet, his training regimen. And I think, you know, that has a lot to do with the Flyers organization, especially at the time that he was drafted. There was a mentality about that, that he learned very quickly. And, you know, we joke about his grilled cheese thing. And uh, he said that he doesn't eat grilled cheeses before games anymore, because clearly that would not be in his diet. But um, right. I, I do. But it think was the fact that it was, though, is scary. <laughs> yeah. Well, we all we all know a lot more now than we did then. I think that changed when Yager played here in 11-12. Uh, yeah. That season, Hartnell alluded to that the other day in the Monday Zoom, media Zoom call in which he talked about the fact Hartnell was you know, kind of half-assing it through a practice one day. And Yager came over to him and to, to Hartnell and said, I'm not here to waste a year. I'm here to win. And uh, then Giroux chimed in with, let's do the drill over again or let's do these drills over again and get it right. So... I think Giroux kind of hopped on that bandwagon with with uh, Yager, who used to come in, break into the rink at midnight to do workouts. And I think that sort of spread into uh, Giroux's uh, training regimen. I want to talk a little bit about his raw skill, because I think it's something that, you know, a lot of Flyers fans think he's underappreciated around the league. And I think it's true to some degree, just because what he does is especially his vision and his ability to put moves on defensemen, put moves on goalies. It just seems so effortless the way he does it. And I'm just wondering what your thoughts are, Wayne, about his specific skill set. Uh, definitely. The fact that he was a natural sniper in, in junior paved the way for the fact that he is one of the most proficient power play uh, point people in the league. And I believe he, well, he already passed, he has the record now for the Flyers for most power play points. Yeah. He, passed, he passed Clark recently. And he's also among the leaders of the last, whatever, I, I forget the stat, but it's like five or 10 years that he has the most power play points. And on the, on the flip side, he does all the little things, right? Like uh, face-offs. Every year he's top five, top 10, top three. Um, those are things that coaches appreciate, scouts appreciate, and fans who follow him closely appreciate the fact that he does all those things that are not really showy stats. And today I asked Mike Yo at the press briefing whether or not Giroux belonged in the same conversation with with Sidney Crosby and Alex Ovechkin. And he said, yes. He said, the only reason that Giroux does not get that sort of acclaim is that he does not have a Stanley Cup, number one. 
And number two, he doesn't have the players around him. He didn't have a Malkin. He didn't have a Backstrom. He didn't have a John Carlson. He didn't have the Chris Letang, those types of players. He's had some good players, but not all-star, first-team all-star players that, that Crosby and Ovechkin had. So, and, he, and Mike came right out and said, that shouldn't be held against him. And I think in the long run, when we look back on this, if Drew ever gets into the Hall of Fame or if he ever, you know, uh, wins a Stanley Cup, those things should be pointed out that it took him a long time, sort of like John Elway with the Broncos in, in quarterback. He was a great player. Just because he won two, two uh, Lombardi trophies at the end of his career didn't really change anything. He was a good player before that. And today, Yo alluded to Ray Bork going from Boston to Colorado and said, well, everybody, you know, jumped on that bandwagon after Bork won the cup. Well, Bork was a first-team All-Star before he got to Colorado. Yeah, so I a few things. I, I think it's 50-50 with Giroux and, and the Hall of Fame for all the reasons Wayne said. The, um, the interesting thing is, and I alluded to it on previous show, is when he was, like, in his 30s, and Wayne, you know, we all were, like, looking at him saying, you got to shoot more, you got to score more because you don't have the players around you. He did actually go to a shooting coach, a guy named Pat Malloy, who really helped him. And it has made a big difference on the way he shoots, the angles he shoots at. And he's able to fool more goalies now. Also, I think you have to take into account his hockey IQ because he is not the fastest guy. We see if he, like in his early part of his career, he could get a breakaway and just light it up. He hasn't been able to do that for three or four years. And he is still not really getting hurt on the point end of it. Once in a while, he might have to give up on a, on a breakaway, but that's not the end of the world. And yeah, Mike Yo talked about his defensive play, and we all know about that. But he does make players around him better, and not every player has the ability to do that. And I think that's, that's a big thing for him, too. So whatever team he may go to, whatever line mates they put him with, like that GM and that coach are going to know, hey, he's going to kind of you know, bring these guys along or even teach them a few things if they're veterans. Well, and, and that's the thing, too, is that he gets a tremendous amount of penalty kill time for a player yeah. of his caliber. You don't see that with Crosby, you know, mm -hmm. so I, I think that's something to his credit and something you have to consider in the conversation about him is that he is used, you know, specifically because of his faceoff skill and his defensive skill in a lot of defensive situations. He takes defensive zone faceoffs all the time. And I think that that's, you know, something that makes him special, that he has those hands, but at the same time, he has a two-way game that yeah. is really, you know, unmatched for Flyers players anyway. It's that time of year again as college basketball's tournament is finally upon us. From all the latest odds, contests, and player props, betonline.net is the number one source for all your sports betting needs and info. BetOnline remains the best spot for all your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering information needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. BetOnline, where the game starts. On Monday, March 21st at 3.30 Eastern, tune in to the Locked On Fantasy Hockey's live deadline reaction show to get all the on-ice fantasy and betting analysis you need from hosts Steel Roden and Flip Livingstone with appearances from our roster of local team experts, including us. 
And for our immediate reaction, catch our trade deadline recap episode posting on Monday. And now back to our conversation with Wayne Fish about Claude Giroux. And let's not forget that out of the thousand games that he's played, he's only missed a dozen. And that durability is such that his latest Ironman streak, he was tied with Provorov and it only got stopped because of of COVID-19. So, I mean, those are circumstances beyond your control. That's an act of God. And uh, he had another another Ironman streak, I think, of over 300. So you put those two together. And again, I go back to the fact that coaches appreciate the fact that you have that you can automatically put him in the lineup night after night after night. I mean, Crosby and Ovechkin, I don't think, can say the same thing. I, I don't know exactly what their numbers are, but I'd be willing to bet that, that Giroux has a better ratio of games played to games missed than those two guys do well there's one other thing too wayne um because you're bringing this up i can't remember just seeing Giroux go to the locker room most of the time when he's in great pain he just stays on the bench yeah i mean uh it's at, at sometimes it's almost like i don't want to say comical but you know they talk about the idea of well hockey players are hockey players i get it teeth get knocked out elbows yeah. get banged up and all that kind of stuff but i've seen him walk away from some uh, some train wrecks and just shake my head going like, oh, wow, that's going to, that's going to be it for a while. And right. damned, if he's not, damned if he's not back the next shift. Yeah. You know, he has the occasional surgeries off season. He had the wrist mm-hmm. surgery once again, because he gets slashed all the time and just keeps going. Yeah. So I want to get into, you know, some of our favorite memories of him, individual plays, individual games. And, you know, you cannot have a conversation about Claudio without talking about the shift from 2012 in uh, game six versus the Pittsburgh Penguins. I was at that game and it, it was just one of the most special experiences I think you can have as a Flyers fan to just have seen that in person because I think, you know, coming into that game, especially the Flyers seem to be reeling a little bit after, you know, taking a series lead and then losing a couple to the Pens. You know, the Flyers needed to shut this one down and boy, did they in that game. And Claude Giroux set the tone with that hit on Crosby. And then, you know, after the next face off, just coming down and sniping a goal. And yeah, I, the goalies I didn't shut it. anything down in that series. There were some seven, no. six games, right? It <laughs> yeah. was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The thing that strikes me from that series, as much as that game, was the fact that Couturier had a hat trick and got Malkin so frustrated on the defensive side he of the puck did. that Malkin took a penalty that led to that victory. And yeah. the fact that Giroux, now I'm not sure what the lines were that night to start because he, they were mixing and matching as they went along. But at some point, Giroux was instrumental in getting an, an 18 or 19-year-old kid to get a hat trick in a Stanley Cup playoff game. And outplay a Russian superstar tells you that, you know, Couturier could not have had that night. I guess what I'm getting at is Couturier could not have had that night without Giroux's uh, contributions. Absolutely. Wayne, do you have any other particular games or moments that stand out to you? Uh, I mean... There, there have been shootouts where I couldn't give you the date or the place or whatever, but I remember him winning, winning a shootout where he comes down and does like a three-move toe drag, uh, backhand through the five hole, and people just like jaws dropped. 
And I guess if you dialed up Drew's career highlight video film, you would get that. But that sort of, as you alluded to before, the thinking man's part of the game, he was always thinking of, I've seen the video of the goalie. I know his shortcomings. And the goalie knows that I know his shortcomings. So I'm going to outthink him and, and do what I'm going to do, regardless of whether or not it's his strength or weakness. And that always caught my eye as the guy who's thinking a little bit, a little bit ahead of the game. Yeah, I, you know, I go back to um, covering his first um, Phantoms game in the Spectrum. I remember uh, you may have even been in that scrum, Wayne, who knows, uh, after the game, you know. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's when I, I asked him, <laughs> I did, I was, I was a jerk, but I asked him, I said, do you think Bobby Clark knows your name now? And he looked at me and smiled. He goes, yeah, I think <laughs> he does. And it was just funny. And it was just like, you know, you don't realize like those kinds of things are like, that's going to be, and, and I think he may have scored that game or gotten assist, but you don't realize sometimes when, you know, somebody's starting a career like that, how significant it can be down the road. I think that he also played a part, a kind of a silent partner in the games at Boston in the three zero miracle comeback that mm -hmm. Gagne yeah. got all the headlines and Hartnell uh, I remember that Laviolette had lit a fire under his butt and said, you've got to play better. And Hartnell came out like he was ready to kill somebody. But Giroux was silently in the background, like you mentioned before, the penalty kill, uh, some of the, you know, face-offs, two minutes to go in the game, deep in your own end. You've got to win that face-off. You've got to get the puck out of your own end. That's the kind of stuff that he, that he was at. And he was, again, only 21 or 22 years old. And that's, that's a big part of flyer lore. I mean, only four teams, I think, have, have ever come back from zero three. So yeah. uh, that's quite a feather in his cap. I think that's, you know, an overarching theme for Claude Giroux's career is that he's the guy that's going to take the team and put it on his back and carry a team through whatever they need to. And you see it time and time again. And I would say, you know, there's a couple good examples of that. Uh, when he scored that crazy backhanded falling from a weird angle goal versus Columbus uh, that turned out to be a game winning goal for him. And then there was a game against the devils last year where he scored two goals in 22 seconds to tie it back up. You know, they, they were down too late in that game. And I think that's just emblematic of the kind of guy he is and the, and his competitiveness that both of you have talked about as well, that, you know, when the chips are down, he's the guy that you absolutely put out on the ice. I mean, I like his trash talking too. Yeah. I'm sure Wayne could mention this too, but we see him trash talking all the time. Like a lot of stuff that doesn't even get on camera. Like he's, he, he has no problem trash talking anybody on the opposing team. It really doesn't matter who it is. It could be the biggest guy. It could be the biggest star. It doesn't really matter. I have, I have the story to fit that. It was in my story uh, yesterday. The fact that Hartnell let Hartnell told us that they were in a Nashville bar one night and the Drew sitting there and in walks Craig Barubi. He sits down, he says, I hear you're pretty good. And the topic was arm wrestling. Yeah. yeah and yeah. everybody thought Barubi's got 40 pounds on him and a hundred more hockey fights. They sit down. Drew lets him win the first one, kind of tosses it. Then on the second one, when they get serious, Hartnell goes, it was just like the movie Over the Top with Sylvester Stallone. He just <laughs> hammered him right. He just hammered Barubi's wrist right into the table. And Barubi was so, and then he got in his face and started trash talking him. And Barubi was so embarrassed he had to leave the bar. And that tells you about how competitive Claude Giroux is that 
he's not, he said, even Couturier said, whenever he plays, he has to beat you. And if you beat him, he's not going to let it go. He's, he wants a rematch. He, he's going to say you were lucky. He's going to keep right on going. And that, I think, pretty sure carries over into hockey. Yeah, the other thing that I've heard, Wayne, and I don't know if you've heard this, I've heard it through the grapevine, but I guess he's not much of a mathematician. And so, like, if they went out and they would have, like, that, that meal, he wasn't much of a guy figuring out the tip. Like, he would just leave an absurd amount of money because he couldn't figure it out. Yeah, I haven't heard that, but I wouldn't put it past him. <laughs> <laughs> There's a couple other iconic moments uh, that you have to bring up, and the first of which is the Stadium Series overtime winner in mm -hmm. 2019. And like, if you had to pick a single image to represent Claude Giroux's career, I would say it's him celebrating that goal in that weather with just putting his arms up and, and just kind of looking like, yeah, did you expect any different from me? Right. Although that right. turned out to be like the Wayne Simmons swan song. So it's like my mind goes there first, I guess. But yeah, you're right. And I would say, you know, one of the things that I think has been uh, pretty special about this season that, you know, with all of the disappointment in the team overall, that somehow the hockey gods gave us the all-star game this year with him getting that MVP award and him kind of getting his moment in the sun while he was still a Philadelphia flyer. I think that's something that all of us appreciate and that for a guy who we've seen, you know, time and time again, who does not like the spotlight and, you know, won't even go to the middle of the circle to lead stretches because he doesn't want to be the center of attention to have a moment like that where he was the center of attention and he just kind of let it happen. I really appreciate that as a fan. And I think it's a, it's an indelible memory, I think for all of us. I think that fatherhood and being a husband, I guess the right way to put it, being a husband and a dad has changed him a little bit. We do know that there were some difficulties he had off the ice over the years, but I think I chalked that up to immaturity and to the fact that he knew he was going back home to French Canada where he was comfortable and uh, enjoy the, the, the nightlife a little bit. <clears throat> but once he got uh, serious here, I, I, I might be so uh, bold to say that, that that when he started, you know, started around the age of 29, 30, uh, Sam Carcitti, uh, the hockey writer, pointed out today that his numbers after the age of 30 are massive. They're a higher ratio, a, a better ratio of points per game than, I don't know, X number of years before he was 30. Not a lot of players can do, can do that. Well, I think that's the training methods. I think we all used to talk I about the training methods. Yeah. I think it's a big part of it, but I also think it's a maturity angle of yeah, sure. I'm, I'm, I'm going to, instead of going out tonight and having a few beers, I'm going to be home, you know, fooling around with the kids and going to bed early. I mean, I don't know how much of that fig figures into the equation, but if, even if it's 20%, that could be the 20% that has led to more uh, analytically correct numbers for him uh, over the last few years. You know, the other thing is I was at the All-Star game in Ottawa in 2012. And that was a big thing for him. And I think that was the, you know, and again, they always change the format, right? But I think that was the year where they picked players. Like you were, you were picking the players, right? And I think the big thing I remember him saying was he didn't want to get picked last. And that, that is like a Giroud thing. That would really, that, that would bother him if he was the last pick. And I remember the last pick, I think, got a car. And I want to say it was Phil Kessel, I think. It was. And I think he. 
and I think he got a free car out of it. And I do want to add one other thing as far as his personality traits. He every player gets involved with the Flyers wives fight for uh, the Flyers wives carnival, I should say. But I've seen him go out of his way when someone comes into the room that is physically or mentally challenged, a person that's brought in to uh, meet the players, be it uh, someone who's sight challenged or physically handicapped. And he's gone out of his way more than I've than a lot of other players I've seen to sort of. I don't know what the right word is, ingratiate, you know, to, yeah, to make that person to, feel to, good, just to engage, them. yeah, to yeah. engage that. And, and it, 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 it just shows another side of him that, you know, sometimes he can be gruff to, to cameras and to notebooks and all. But boy, when that other side, when that guard is down and he's, he's just a big softy. Yeah, you know what it is? He's not like rough, but I think he's aloof and I don't think yeah. he can help it. I just think that's the way he is. I think that's part of the language, though. Uh, Russ, I don't know be. if necessarily, I don't know if he's ever really gotten comfortable. I'll tell you what, when he talks to us, there's that, there's that sort of iron mask. As soon as, soon as the, the three French guys walk in and he walks over to them, he's laughing, he's gesturing yeah. with his hands, he's, he's, you know, his voice goes up at, in decibels and all that. You can just see he's much more comfortable with his own people. And that's what, what I alluded to earlier about the fact yeah. that the times that he was a little more little less mature than he should have been was when he was home and more in his own element. You know, I want to go back real quickly to what you said, Wayne, about, you know, him improving when he got to be about 30 and that season in uh, 2017, 18, I believe it was when he was just out of the heart trophy finalist voting I'm still bitter about that to this day because he absolutely should have been a finalist I don't know that he should have won but he should have been in that top three for sure in my esteemed opinion and I think part of that is because of his you know working so hard to recover from a season prior to that where he wasn't as successful and that, you know, his work ethic, you're right, it, his work ethic kicked in right about then in a way that it hadn't before. Not that it wasn't, you know, great before that, but uh, I think that that season just showed what you can do as you mature as a hockey player. And I think he's a, a role model, I think, for a lot of younger guys in that way. I, I would agree with that. The fact that Going back to the voting, uh, the fact that he wasn't, I think a lot of the voting is political. I've been voting forever. And I know oh, yeah, that there, I, I are, there, too, are, yeah. there are there are biases against uh, East versus West, old versus mm -hmm. young, teams that uh, are sort of vilified, like the Flyers have always, I know I'm starting to sounding like a fan now, but there may be just a tiny bit still left over from way back when, when the Flyers sort of, you know, were these... Uh, rogue uh players who just you know beat people up and 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 won with physical talent as much as as the, the skills talent and i think that in the long run guys who don't see him play a lot like in los angeles or vancouver or denver they don't he, he because he doesn't blow his own horn he's not a real look oh look at me look at my numbers that that sort of gets lost and so when it comes time to vote people look at study stat, stat sheets and they and they look at comments made by and look talk to scouts i always talk to scouts about the selkie i want to make sure that i'm educated that i know yeah. that i want the coach to tell me this is a guy 
you know, a, a Patrice Bergeron I know about, but, but Anzi Kopitar flew under the radar for many years. Mm-hmm. And then finally an assistant coach sort of grabbed me. It was LaPerriere and said, Hey, you better look at this guy. He's playing pretty well. And he won that year. So, I mean, the point being that Drew might not get what he deserved because simply because of circumstances, the team he plays for and uh, the fact that he's not a real self um, promoting player. He's a horrible self promoter. He is. He really is. So I I think given all that, it's an interesting part of this conversation because to me, as a person who hockey is the most important sport to me, it always has been, always will be. And, you know, the other sports, especially in Philadelphia, kind of fall by the wayside for me as a fan a lot of the time. You know, what do we think his legacy is in terms of within, you know, the Flyers history, but also in Philadelphia sports as a whole? I think he's like top five most beloved Flyers of all time. You may find guys with better numbers. You you don't have many with the thousand games, just him and Clark, right? But I think as far as being beloved, he's a guy that, you know, when he's done, and he comes back here for whatever, he's going to get standing ovation after standing ovation. I think that, you know, the people that, and I think it's mainly from the radio crowd that say he hasn't won anything and he's here too long or whatever. Those people don't matter in the sense that what the fans think and what the organization thinks. And he'll probably come back here and do something with the organization when he's done. So I think, you know, he's one of the most beloved players they've ever had. I would say the thing that struck me the most about his career here is that he's not a complainer. He's not a whiner. And I've covered it for generations, and I've seen guys who come in here. I'll tell you, there are a couple of Hall of Famers that have been here that are, have been big-time complainers. And you can guess who they are because there's only four or five guys in the Hall of Fame. And right. it's not Clark, and it's not per- it's not Bernie Perron. So that leaves you – you can guess the rest. And they constantly complain whether their skates weren't sharp enough or the fans were cursing at them or this or that or, you know – uh, at the end of the day, Drew never complains about the fact that they were like this year. You know, they're horrible. But I have not heard him complain. He, he takes it upon himself. He accepts the blame. He accepts the, accepts the count, accountability like a yeah. Ron Hextall who came, comes out and says, we stunk, I stunk. Okay. And he always get, ma- manages to get that in there that I'm, I'm a part of this problem. You know, when it's a, when it's part of the solution, when they're winning, a lot of guys can jump on that bandwagon. But when you're losing, I, as a writer, go to the guys like a Kimo Timonen, a Mike Knuhl, uh, players of that, that ilk who will tell me why this team is not playing well and why that player himself is part of the problem. That's what I want to hear. And as a coach, if I'm reading the paper the next day, that's what I want to see in the newspaper. I want to right. see somebody say, we're bad, and I'm part of that bad. You know, it's interesting you bring up Kimo Timonen because, you know, he's somebody that while he didn't play his entire career in Philadelphia, I think he, you know, endeared himself to the fan base a lot. And he was also a guy who got traded at the trade deadline, and he went and won a cup with the Blackhawks. Yeah. And so I feel like the fan base's feelings are very similar in terms of, yes, please, Claude, go win a cup somewhere else. We want this for you. Like, do, Wayne, do you get the impression that that's the case? I do. And uh, that was brought up when LaPerriere, Hartnell, and Couturier got on the line together the other day. Two of those guys said, he, you know, as much as we'd like him to stay, we understand the circumstances and we wish him well and he deserves 
this chance. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that struck me as, well, you know, I was expecting that you would feel that way, but I didn't think that you would vocalize it so strongly and say, well, you know what, uh, we're going to lose our best player, but, you know, he's given us 15 years. How much more do you want? And uh, so at this point now, the Flyers have to rebuild. This is, you know, I don't care what Chuck Fletcher says. This is not a, uh, a reset. This is going to be a rebuild. I mean, they have uh, to start looking Dave at Dave Scott doesn't want to do that, though, Wayne. Yeah, well, I, I, I'm not saying that they're going to do it. I'm just saying that they should they, do that's it. That's what right. Wayne Fish believes. I believe yes. that they have to go, dig down and look at this. Ellis, you have to wait and see. Couturier, you have to wait and see. But there are a lot of people out, a lot of players out there that everyone goes, oh, I wouldn't touch that. A Sanheim, a Konechny, whatever. You know, if a Provorov, whatever. I, I think everything's on the table here. And uh, if it's you don't want to be the New Jersey Devils for the next five years, you you no, want to get fair. this thing back online. And I think that that getting back to my point about Giroux is this is something that had to be done simply because of the of the future of the organization, putting the best interest there. And I'm sure Giroux has had talks with Fletcher that that speak to that point that we want to do what's best for the organization as much as we want to help you with your career. We right. want to do is get get the maximum value, whatever it might be, and then go from there. Giroux has been such an integral part of a lot of our lives as hockey fans and as Flyers fans specifically. And I, I can't imagine this team without him, honestly. And, you know, that's coming from somebody who grew up in the 80s flyers and you know the tail end of the broad street bullies into you know your your mark howe your tim kerr era and i never thought anybody would replace those guys in my heart as like the philadelphia flyer but claude Giroux is absolutely that guy wayne thank you so much for joining us uh, some amazing stories and really good memories and uh, I'm glad you could join us to talk about the captain. It was my pleasure, and it was a lot of fun. Uh, where can people find you out there? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at WayneFish1, and you can find my uh, stories at FlyingFishHockey, all one word, dot com. And if you just Google Bucks County Courier Times into the sports section, I basically write every day, uh, and I have a column on Sunday. Amazing. Thanks again. My pleasure. So that was a really excellent conversation we just had with Wayne Fish and so many amazing Claude Giroux memories. And, you know, he's right. He's one of the hardest working, most humble athletes we have had in Philadelphia. Yeah, no question. And, and I think that's that will definitely be his legacy. And I think he's just a guy without a big ego. And, and people in Philly appreciate that. Well, tonight could and is likely to be his last game in a Flyers uniform, which I cannot believe that sentence just came out of my mouth. But uh, this is the spot we have found ourselves in as Flyers fans. But we're also in a really great position to honor Claude Giroux's contribution to the team and to the fan base. And I think, you know, that's something to celebrate as well. It is. You don't always get this moment when a um, when a star is just getting ready to leave town. So this is going to be nice for him, his family, and the fans. I, I do want to mention, um, 
If people want to follow me at Sportsology on Instagram, Caitlin Reese is going to be shooting this game for Sportsology, and she'll have a lot of shots for all the festivities, everything on the ice, and, and then I'll have something up on the website later on. There's going to be a lot of good moments for sure, and uh, I think a lot of us are going to try and you know cherish the moment in tonight's game as much as possible and we're gonna do the same we'll be back tomorrow to talk about everything that happened in the pregame ceremony there's apparently a game to be played as well so we're gonna talk about that and that'll be tomorrow's show as a reminder we always want to hear from you you can send in mailbag questions and your claude Giroux thoughts via twitter at lockdown flyers or you can email us at lockdownflyers at gmail.com i'm rachel i'm on twitter at r miriam that's r m i r i a m i'm russ i'm at sportsology s-p-o-r-t-s-o-l-o-g-y And with that, we're going to end today's show with another clip from Claude Giroux's press conference from yesterday talking about his teammates, and it's a good one. My teammates, uh, I love them. Uh, You know, it's my my second family, being able to kind of spend every day with them. And, you know, my teammates right now and uh, my former teammates, um, you know, got a chance to get close to a lot of them, got to know a lot of guys from different countries, uh, different places. Um, you know, it's, uh, uh, it's been, it's been a great journey to be able to meet as many great guys that I, I've played with. And, uh, you know, my team, my, uh, my teammates right now, they, uh, this, this week, they made me feel pretty special. Um, makes me feel a little awkward, but, uh, you know, uh, a lot of uh, a lot of people like to to feel love like this.